Amen. All right, as uh, our ushers bring by the baskets, um, if we haven't met before, uh, nice to meet you. My name is Benjur. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace, and uh, just glad to be here. Um, I'm excited for this morning. Uh, as Brett kind of talked about, we are uh, just at the front end of a series this summer, walking through Acts, and um, we're actually in the second third uh, of this book of Acts. We walked through chapters one through nine last summer, and, and we kind of left off there, so we're starting um, with chapter 10 this summer. And um, Josh, last week, uh, kind of led us through a recap of, of the first part of Book of Acts as we get ready to, to start with chapter 10 today. And um, if you're not familiar with the Book of Acts, if you weren't here last week or, or you know here, um, the Book of Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles. It was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician by trade, and in, in the years following Jesus' death and resurrection, um, he became a follower of Jesus. And, and at some point, he decided to set down and write an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and then also, in addition to that, um, kind of what happened in the early church after Jesus died and rose again. So we've got the Gospel of Luke, um, and then also kind of part two to that is, is this book of Acts. And last week, as, as Josh gave us a recap, he reminded us of two things that we see kind of again and again in, in the book of Acts. The first one is this, this theme that, that Luke sets out, that, that it's, it's Jesus' followers are who, who are his witnesses, but the power is, is supplied through God's Holy Spirit, that, that God, through the Holy Spirit, you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, God the Holy Spirit empowers followers of Jesus, and not just in the book of Acts, but, but each follower of Jesus receives the Holy Spirit when we put our hope and trust in Jesus to be Jesus' witnesses. And, and the way Jesus put it was, was in Jerusalem and in, in Judea, the area surrounding that, and then north kind of neighbor in, um, in, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And it's the Holy Spirit who is doing this because it was God's idea. Because you and me, it's not something we can do on our own, and it's not something the early uh, kind of followers of Jesus could do on their own. The second theme that we see over and over again is this. We see throughout the book of Acts um, this, this, this kind of idea of, of opposition to this message of grace, this gospel uh, to God's kingdom, um, that, that, that Jesus died for our sins, that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, but it's Jesus who earned it for us. There's, there's opposition to that message, but then the Holy Spirit kind of breaks through, and then there's, there's advancement. So we see this pattern where I mean, something happens, it doesn't look good, but then, then the Holy Spirit does something, and, and, and we see God's kingdom. We see this message of reconciliation with God through Jesus kind of break through and advance, both in sense of more people coming to know Jesus, but then also geographically um, see God's, God's message of redemption um, go from place to place that hadn't previously heard it. And here's the thing about opposition. Usually when we think about this, when we hear the word opposition uh, of any kind, we think of kind of an outside force that, that, that stops an initiative, a project, a program, a team, somebody who's trying to accomplish something. Uh, you know, there's, there's an opposition from the outside. But sometimes, sometimes that opposition comes from within. And what we're going to see today in, in this narrative that, that, that Luke kind of retells for us, we're going to see something happen. And, and what we're going to see is that this opposition comes within the early church. That it is actually followers of Jesus and leaders in this early church that are actually getting in the way of God's mission. 
And, and before we go any further, um, here's one reason why this is important. Um, one of the things we remember here at Flourishing Grace is that this is, this is not our church, and this is God's church. It, it, is, it is a collective gathering of followers of Jesus that Jesus died for. And so it's important for us to remember that, that the people like us who stand up on a stage or lead or put on a microphone or, or whatever it may be, we are not immune to critique of any kind, and there are times when followers of Jesus, even leaders in a local church, where God needs to intervene and say, and this is not something I am pleased with, and we're going to see that happen today. And so maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and, 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 and at some point in time you said, well, the, the reason was because I, I felt like the people standing on the stage or I felt like the people in charge were just kind of above any kind of criticism or accountability. And, and what we're going to see today is God unmistakably hearing, saying that he needed to intervene in this instance. And Luke needed to record it for generations of followers of Jesus to come because this is not the case. This is not our church. This is God's church. What we're going to see today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, um, verse 1. Um, if you have a Bible, please flip there. If you don't have a Bible, underneath your seat is a blue Bible, and we're going to be on page 1017 in that Bible. I'd love to have you turn there. If you don't have a Bible, if you, if, if you just need one, um, please take that blue Bible, put your name in it, and we want those to walk out the door. That is our gift to you. Um, but what we're going to read today uh, actually happens a few years after where we left off last summer. Where we left off last summer, um, we saw Paul, also known as Saul, have an encounter with the risen Jesus on his way to Damascus. If, if you don't know much about Paul, he was basically one of the biggest opponents to this early um, Jesus movement where he would put followers of Jesus and especially leaders in the early church uh, into prison and even oversee their execution. And he has a, an encounter with the risen Jesus. And as we see in a few chapters, Paul goes from being one of the biggest opponents to this early movement to being one of the biggest proponents and eventually gives his life to go from town to town around the known world where Jesus had never been preached to tell people about Jesus. And so Luke, after, after that encounter, um, kind of takes the focus off of Paul and says, we're going to focus on Peter, who, who was a leader in the early church. Peter was an original follower of Jesus. We're going to put the focus on him for a moment. And so what we, what we read today actually happens a few years after what, where we left off with Paul. So let's dive in. And because we believe this is God's word, because um, we believe this is an inspired word of God, if you would, if you're able, would you please stand as we read Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, another Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. 
But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So here is the scene. Cornelius is a, a, kind of an uncommissioned officer in the Roman army. Well, he was uncommissioned, but he was in charge of about a hundred soldiers. And so his responsibilities were really in line with what we would think of as kind of an army captain. And, and really, centurions were, were the backbone of the Roman army. Luke goes through great pains to tell us that, that Cornelius feared God. And this doesn't mean that, that he kind of feared God in general and he loved to go into nature and, yeah, I feel God in, in, in kind of a way. No, he, what Luke means is, is that he ha, had decided, man, the, the, the God, the one true God, because Cornelius would have been raised with a pantheon of gods kind of to choose from in the Roman culture. He said, no, the one true God is this God that the Jewish people worship. And so he had become kind of a little bit involved in the Jewish community because he didn't become convert fully to Judaism, because he didn't become fully Jewish. Some of those things were off limits to him, but, but he, he came to, to know and he came to follow the God of Israel. And Luke says, listen, it wasn't just kind of an internal thing where, where he had a personal kind of private relationship with God. No, it showed in his life. He was generous to those who were in need. And he has this, this vision. An angel visits him. And, and the angel says, listen, Cornelius, God has taken notice of your life. And this isn't because, man, God, God is just more impressed with you than anybody else. He's, God has taken notice. This would have been huge for Cornelius because, again, raised with a pantheon of gods, these were impersonal gods who, who basically only showed up when they wanted something. And, and there was this quid pro quo where if you did something for them, they would do something for you. Now the angel says, listen, no, God is a personal God and he has taken notice of you, Cornelius. And he says, listen, there's a guy named Peter. You got to go get him. He's in Joppa. And so Cornelius does that. He sends one of his soldiers and a couple of servants, and, and they go in to get Peter. It was, it was about a two-day journey. They would have to stay overnight. And so the next day, as they're on the second leg of their journey to Joppa, um, they're approaching the city where Peter is. Peter actually goes up on the roof to pray at about lunchtime, about noon, and, and he has a vision. And he sees this sheet coming down from heaven, and in it are all kinds of animals. And these aren't just any animals. These are animals that Peter, as a Jewish man, rose, who was raised with the, the law of Moses, would have known, I'm not supposed to eat these. Right? This, these are things that God has declared unclean. And so he hears, rise, eat, kill and eat. And Peter says, hold on. This is a test, right? This is a test. Okay, you're not going to trick me, God. You're not going to trick me. I've never eaten anything unclean since I was a kid. And the voice comes down and says, no, 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 Peter. What I've called clean, do not call common. And, and the significance of that, common doesn't necessarily mean, oh, yeah, it's just an everyday thing. There were categories for Peter as a Jewish man, and, and, and these were taken from the law of Moses. That there were things that were, were holy according to God, and there were things that were not sacred. 
And, and basically God says, man, what I've called a sacred, do not call unsacred. Peter is perplexed. He has no idea what this means. We'll see in a few, a few minutes that, that he begins to connect the dots, but the Holy Spirit tells them, in addition to that vision, listen, some guys are going to show up. They're going to take you somewhere. Go with them. And just like that, there's a knock at the door, and these guys who were sent from Cornelius show up. And because it's later in the day, Peter welcomes them in, shows them hospitality, and the next day, Peter goes with them to Cornelius, and they take the two-day journey to Caesarea. And when Peter shows up at Caesarea, when, when, when he meets Cornelius, Cornelius clearly expects a messenger from God because God has shown up and, and God says, I'm going to show you something. Go get Peter. And so when he meets Peter, he falls at his feet and worships him. And Peter says, listen, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm just a guy just like you are. Right? So, so get up. And, and he gets up and he meets Cornelius and, and Cornelius takes him in his house. And, and he walks in this, maybe this room, and, and there are just a ton of people packed in there. Cornelius, who, who said he feared God with his household, so many people, maybe some of his, his kids, maybe his spouse, um, certainly most of his servants, maybe some of his, his soldiers that were under his care. He'd invited all these people to listen to this messenger of God. He said, listen, God gave me a vision. This guy's going to show up. You've got to come and see, and what, what, what is it about? So these people are expectant. Peter begins in a very puzzling way. In Acts chapter 10, um, verse 28, Peter begins this way. He sees the people, he sees them gather, and he says, Okay, he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. I think it's going to be up here on the screen. You know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with, with or to visit anyone of another nation. I mean, this is a weird way to begin, right? In other words, Peter kind of walks up and he sees all these people who are expecting a word from God and he leans in and he says, I'm not even supposed to be here. It's a weird way to begin. But Cornelius and those who are familiar with the Jewish culture would have said, yeah, I understand that. Because according to the Jewish culture, there were things that were clean, and there were things that were not unclean. And, and, and just to kind of give a quick couple-minute backdrop to this, when you walk through the Old Testament, what you see is, is, is you see God intervening in people's lives. You see God intervening in Abraham's life and says, listen, I know your wife is old. I know you're old. I know you can't have kids, but you're going to have a kid, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. I've chosen you, and you're going to be a light to the nations. And then the nation of Israel is, 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 is built up and they're in Egypt and they're in slavery and then God rescues them and puts them in the promised land. And each time along the way, you see God kind of set boundaries around his people and say, I have chosen you. And God is very careful to point out, not because you're anything special, not because you did anything, but because I chose you. You were the least of all the nations and I rescued you. And when you read the Law of Moses, the first few books of the Old Testament, and you walk through the whole Old Testament, especially in the prophets, you realize God has done this not just for the benefit of Israel, but to show the nations. The nation of Israel was supposed to be a blessing to all the nations around them, and they were supposed to show and reveal God's glory, and he eventually did that through Jesus, who was Jewish. 
The whole point of this separation, the whole point of, okay, don't eat these foods, but you can eat these foods. Don't associate with nations around you. Don't, don't intermarry. Don't do these things. It wasn't just, you know, to say, okay, there's a distinction and you guys are better than them. No, God said, listen, I chose you for a purpose and you need to be obedient because you need to show people who I am. And all of this was fulfilled. The law was fulfilled. All of these requirements were fulfilled with Jesus so that the whole world would know God's grace and mercy. But somewhere along the way, an idea crept in. Or maybe God didn't choose us just just because he loves us. Maybe there was something better about us. And that's why God chose us. So Peter begins, you know. It's unlawful. You know about the Mosaic law. You know, not really supposed to be here. But, the end of verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. In other words, God has shown Peter and he's connecting the dots that there's not haves and have-nots. He's he's beginning to show Peter that and these these laws that were set up for the nation of Israel, this distinction, it wasn't for the benefit just of of Israel. It wasn't to say, man, there's haves and have-nots. No, the, the, the purpose was to show that nobody is unclean or common. Nobody is unsacred. That through Jesus, all can come to God no matter who they are. Because it's Jesus and what he accomplished for you and me that reconciles us to God. And so Peter, seeing this whole crowd, asks Cornelius, what's the story? And Cornelius kind of relates to him his vision. Peter talks a little bit about his and says, okay, I understand. I know what I'm here to do. And Peter tells the gathering about Jesus. About we were broken and dead in our sin. About Jesus is our judge. But it's okay that Jesus is our judge because Jesus climbed up on the cross and bore your sin and my sin so that through him we can have repentance. We can repent and have forgiveness of sins. Not because of anything we do, but because of what God did on our behalf. It is a gift. Peter explains the gospel and how to be forgiven through Jesus. And then something incredible happens. In verse 44, um, Luke recounts this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, these who were part of the, the Jewish religion, who had come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Even those who were with Peter were amazed at what was happening for a couple of reasons. One, those who were with Peter, right, there, there was this idea in the early church, and we'll see this in a minute, there's this idea that, that because Jesus came to the Jewish people in order to follow Jesus, yes, his grace is open to all, but you have to become Jewish before you can follow Jesus. And so they're amazed at what this was happening, and they're connecting the dots, and they're like, whoa, 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 we had it wrong. Because what Peter is seeing is, is the Holy Spirit showing up in an incredible way just as it did for him. 
You see, followers of Jesus, from the moment we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and sometimes that appears in a very visible and tangible way. It did for followers of Jesus in, in, in Acts 2, the original followers of Jesus. And what Peter says is, just as we received the gift of the Holy Spirit, I see God working in their lives just as he did with us. In other words... And Peter says this in a different place, man, God shows no distinction. This is incredible stuff. And this is a great story. I mean, if this is just where it ended, this, this would be a great message. Look at what God can do. God, God kind of breaks us out of our boxes and our preconceptions, and he does amazing things because it is God who is up to something, not us. God is the one working through us. But that's not where it ends. You see, word of what happened got back kind of to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Now the apostles, starting with uh, chapter 11, verse 1, now the apostles and the brothers, the other followers of Jesus, who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So Peter, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The circumcision party was a group of followers of Jesus who believed that you had to become fully Jewish, remember, to become a follower of Jesus. And they were called the circumcision party because for, for guys, in order to become fully Jewish, it required a small but painful minor surgery. And so they became known by this name. Now, you have to become fully Jewish. You have to be circumcised if you're a guy in order to follow Jesus. And they said, you went... To uncircumcised men, you went to people who weren't Jewish, and you ate with them. To eat with somebody was a sign of close fellowship. That I'm yours and you are mine, that we are brothers. Now here's, here's a little bit what's going on here. First of all, we don't know exactly how much of the followers of Jesus, how big of a group this circumcision party was. It wasn't every follower of Jesus in Jerusalem. It wasn't every leader in the church in Jerusalem. But we get this sense, not just from this chapter, but also a few chapters later, which we'll cover in a few weeks in chapter 15, that while there was a vocal group of people who said, no, you have to be circumcised, you have to do these things, you have to accomplish this task list, and then maybe God will forgive you, that there were some people who were nodding along with it. Even though I wouldn't say it out loud like that, but I'm, I'm nodding along with it. And they criticized Peter. Now, certainly part of this is, is, is simply a theological error. Because we know from God's word, we know from Jesus teaching himself, in fact, we know from, from the Old Testament that foreshadowed everything about Jesus, and we know, especially from the writings of Paul, that, that we, are, we are saved by grace. That this is a gift of God. It's not our own doing. Nobody can boast. It is a gift, and grace earned isn't grace at all. If we have to earn something, if we have to do something, it's not a gift, it's a paycheck. And so certainly, there's at least a theological error here. No, you're, you're mistaken. You misunderstood the teachings of Jesus. You misunderstood the Hebrew scriptures. You misunderstood these things that, that Jesus, when he said he came to fulfill the law, he climbed up on the cross and he fulfilled the law. Not that we're not accountable for everything, but he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so these Mosaic laws, man, they, all of them... They're not enacted anymore. You don't have to become fully Jewish. You don't have to do works. You don't have to accomplish something in order for God to forgive you. It is Jesus who did it on your behalf. 
But we get this sense in the tone of voice that they use that this isn't just, this isn't just a theological error. Because if it was, they would have come to Peter and said, Peter, you left part of it out. Right? You forgot to tell them that they have to become Jewish, that they have to be circumcised, that they have to fulfill the Mosaic law, that they have to commit to these things, and then they can follow Jesus. No, what they said is, I can't believe you associated and ate with those people. Friends, for some reason, when we are given a gift, and especially God's gift of salvation, which comes only through Jesus, there, there comes a time when we mistakenly believe that somehow we were given that gift because we deserved it. And other people don't. We deserved it, but other people don't because of the background, where they were born or because we find some of their sins a little bit more egregious than my sins. Right? God's okay with my sins, but, but not theirs. And we begin to believe that somehow we've earned this gift, which is ridiculous, because grace earned isn't grace at all. If it's a gift, it's a gift. But followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have erred when we have come to believe that we can set limits on God's grace. Friends, those who receive God's grace, those who receive God's grace don't get to limit God's grace. Those who receive God's grace don't get to limit God's grace. This isn't just a theological discussion where they're in error. This is a place where they said, no, God does not love those people as much as he loves us. I can't believe you went and you told them about Jesus. Friends, this attitude has no place in Christ's church. Anytime we use this, this phrase or, or some version of it, those people, and, and can you believe these people doing this down there, and can you believe these people who are trying to do that, and can you believe these politicians, can you believe these people who vote that way or vote that way? Anytime we begin to just group people together in categories and believe that God has written them off, we've missed the gospel. We've missed the gospel. Those who receive God's grace don't get to limit God's grace. Now, in this particular instance, it was a group of people, and, 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 and if we could hear some of these people's stories and we could say, okay, I kind of understand where you're coming from. Because some Roman officers weren't good people. These, these people were oppressed in many ways by, by the Roman culture. Right? But they'd come to a place where they said, no, those people cannot possibly receive God's grace. Anne Lamont has a great quote about this, and I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything Anne, Anne writes, but she is spot on when it comes to this quote right here. She says, You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. I mean, isn't it weird? Yeah, you chuckle, because we know this is true. Isn't it weird how when we draw the line between haves and have-nots? Isn't it weird that when we draw the line, okay, God is pleased with these people and God's not pleased with these people, isn't it weird that when we draw the line, we always seem to end up on the right side of the line? 
That the one who draws the line, yeah, of course God is pleased with me, but he's not pleased with those people. Or God can forgive my sin, but he can't forgive their sin. Have you seen their lifestyle? Have you seen the laws they've broken? Peter begins to connect the dots. And he says, okay, listen, Peter wasn't 100% wrong when he said it was unlawful for him to enter this Gentile's house. But as he began to connect the dots, he realized, okay, this law wasn't set in place. This law wasn't set in place to exclude some people. This law was set in place to show that the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. And that through Jesus, all those who come to believe in him are God's chosen people. Not because of anything we did, not because we were the best ones on the team, but just because Jesus loved us and died for us. Now, thankfully, there is a remedy to this. It's tempting. It's tempting when we start to see those people, this idea and this attitude of those people creep into the church. It's tempting to say, okay, so we're just going to be okay with everybody, and we're going to be okay with everybody and what they do and and all these behaviors we're just going to forget. No, that's not the remedy. The remedy is the gospel. The remedy is to remember that you and I were dead in our sins. The remedy is to remember that you and I were lost and because of Jesus we are found. That we were dead and because of Jesus we are alive. Because, that we were blind and because of Jesus we see. Not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And that's how Paul responds to this criticism. He relates a little bit about what happened, about Cornelius' vision, and God is intervening. And about his own vision, and God is intervening. And then he says this in verse 15, chapter 11. It'll be up here on the screen. He said, As I began to speak, as I began to tell them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, Jesus he's talking about, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then comes the crux of the matter for Peter. If then God gave the same, the same what? Same gift. If God then gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, these who criticized them, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, as we'll see in a few weeks, this is not the end of this story. Peter, in fact, himself kind of backtracks a little bit on this because the pressure was great. When you spend your whole life believing that God excludes some people but not others, it gets difficult to realize that that's not the way God works at all. But here, Peter gets it right. He connects the dots. And he says, man, the only remedy is the gospel. God gave them this gift. And they, 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 the Holy Spirit fell on them. Right? When you become a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And in a very visible way, Peter could see that was true. And he realized, I'm no different than them. Who am I to stand in God's way? The only remedy to excluding people because of their sin, because of their background, because of their ethnicity, because of where they live, 
The only remedy that believing, to believing somehow we are more deserving of God's grace than somebody else, the only remedy to that is the gospel, to remind ourselves that it is a gift. And it's a gift for you, then it's a gift for others. For God so loved the world. Not for God so loved flourishing grace. Not for God so loved these people or those people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, this is one of those things where it's easy to nod along with. Yeah, that makes sense, Benjer. I see it there. But it's another thing to actually live this out. And so there's a couple of areas I want to focus on this morning as we wrap up. The first one is this, individually. The only way as individuals for us to live this out is to begin, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus, to ask the Holy Spirit to show us in our hearts and in our lives where we have begun to believe somehow that we are more deserving of God's grace than somebody else. That maybe we weren't outside the reaches of God's grace, but somebody else was. And first of all, if you don't know the answer to that, a great way to start is to ask somebody who knows you really well. Or, for some of us, to take a look at our social media accounts. I mean, let's be honest. If we tend to post and share things that dehumanizes a group of people as those people That might be an indication that we have begun to think that somehow we are more deserving of God's grace than those people. Who are the people in your life or the people you talk about on Facebook or the people that that you grumble about that if they walked through that door, you would be highly uncomfortable That you would say, Benjer, did you know they're here? We've got to do something about that. Who are these people in your heart? Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but if you, they walked through that door, you would be highly uncomfortable. Second area is as a community of followers of Jesus. And I'm not just talking about this room. I'm just talking about in rows. I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, as we gather for an hour on Sundays. I'm talking about our small groups. I'm talking about youth on Thursday nights. I'm talking about Bible Adventure Camp. I'm talking about uh, Summer Together. This can never be a community of followers of Jesus if we are to proclaim this gospel, this message of forgiveness that is by grace and not by works. We can never be a people that excludes others because of their background, because of a particular kind of sin. Because, friends, all of us came to Jesus, or at least most of us, where we were drawn to the community God, we were invited by somebody, maybe we were taught by a parent, and we belonged before we believed. We cannot ask people to behave or belong before they believe. I'm sorry, we cannot ask people to behave before they belong or believe before they belong. We have to say, listen, you are welcome here. You belong. Wouldn't it be great to be the kind of community that not just in word proclaims the gospel, 
but through our interactions, through who are around our kitchen tables, who are welcome in our small groups. Um, to be quite frank, as a community of followers of Jesus, who, who believe in the Jesus of the Bible and believe that it is by grace alone that we are saved, that there's nothing we need to do to earn our salvation, if we are honest, in many ways we are the minority in our communities. Friends, our small groups, our youth group, our children's ministry, our summer together, needs to be the kind of place where people who believe differently than we do are welcome. That doesn't mean we don't have good, honest discussions, but friends, there is no room for cheap shots here at Flourishing Grace Church. I'll tell you a little story. My wife, when we first moved to Utah, um, we, we honestly didn't know a, a ton about Utah culture. We were still getting to know it, and, and she be, became um, the leader of, of a particular women's ministry. And, and it was kind of small for the church that we were at. It was, it, it was where we were at before, but and she thought, man, if we could, this is a great community. If we could reach out to other women in our, our communities, maybe who don't know Jesus or don't know the God of grace, wouldn't that be amazing? And, and she got this incredible pushback. And finally, somebody articulated the reason why they were hesitant to welcome others who didn't believe the same way. They said, well, this is the only place that we can complain about our neighbors. Friends, this has no place in a community that believes that we are saved by grace alone, that we were dead, but Jesus made us alive again. One of the places I have a hard time doing this, if I'm quite honest, is my wife and I, uh, we are foster parents. And, and this isn't every single case, but there are cases that, that we interact with where kids are harmed in very damaging and egregious ways. And my wife is a lot better at this than I am. My wife is an amazing, uh, amazing woman who prays. And she prays for every single kid that, that we interact with. She prays for their kid. She prays for their parents by name, that they would come to know Jesus and that their life would be transformed. If I'm honest, sometimes I think, man, if you do that, <laughs> I'm not sure. But if I really believe that, then somehow I would believe that my sin is different or better than somebody else's sin. Friends, we are all sinners who are saved by the grace of God through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Wouldn't it be incredible if we were the kind of community that proclaimed that in our lives and in our words. And if you're here and you aren't a follower of Jesus, maybe it's because at some point in time you walked away, you saw this and you said, I'd I see this happening. I see this discrimination. I see uh, that, that people aren't welcomed because of their background or their sin or their lifestyle or their ethnicity, and that is just not okay. Let me tell you this. The church, followers of Jesus, we do get it wrong. And through the centuries, we have gotten this wrong. But God himself believed this to be so important, believed this particular sin of excluding people because of their background so egregious that he intervened early in the church. And he had Luke record it so that we could read this for centuries to come. So that when we are tempted to say, I'm more deserving of God's grace than somebody else, or we're tempted to talk about those people, the word of God speaks to us and says, this is not so. Because 
people who receive God's grace don't get to limit God's grace. Friends, maybe proclaim Jesus by being the kind of community that says everybody can receive God's grace. Nobody is beyond his reach. Let me pray for you. God, I confess that there are areas in my life that I, I don't get this right. There are areas in my life where maybe I wouldn't say it out loud, but there are times where I have begun to believe that somebody is beyond the reaches of your grace or, or, or somehow that I have earned something I haven't. God, remind me of your gospel. That I was dead and Jesus made me alive. That I was lost when I am found. That you saw my sin and my brokenness. And God, you poured it out on Jesus on the cross so that I could be forgiven and worship you forever. God, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this grace. And thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.